Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? I'm feeling just slightly jittery. I made myself a nitro cold brew, and I regret it. <laughs> it's very strong. Uh, so if I, if I really talk and, and I'm done in 15 minutes, you'll know why. Um, hey, today is really exciting. We're, uh, I would say we're continuing the book of Acts. Uh, we started it last week, but we didn't read in the book of Acts. So uh, you're probably like, what? Well, come on, if we're starting the book of Acts, we've got to start in the book of Acts. So today we're officially starting uh, in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, yes, if you have your Bibles... You can turn it to Acts chapter 1. It is the uh, fifth book in the New Testament. The New Testament is, is on the right side of your Bible. If you need a Bible, Jerry would love to get you one. Uh, just raise your hand. And uh, if not, you have your phones too. That's always cool. I'm old school. So we're going to be in Acts 1. And uh, to kind of center the frame here while, we're, while you're getting there, uh, the book of Acts is, is Luke's sequel. Um, it is far better uh, than the second episode of Star Wars. The sequel was somewhat disappointing. And I'm talking episode two. I'm not talking episode five. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Careful there. Those are fighting words. Uh, but Luke is writing to a friend, Theopolis, which is a great name. Um, if any of you are thinking about baby names, I would love to have a Theopolis at our church. Uh, but... Um, He's writing to his friend, Theopolis, and uh, in Luke, the, the book of Luke, the gospel account of Luke, uh, it is centered around Jesus and who he is. And, and Luke is a physician, um, and so he's very analytical. He has more healings in his book than any of the other gospel accounts. And he really just is focusing on this, this like scientific validity of Christ in a lot of ways, like these things that occurred and happened and how it was truly through a spiritual reality that a lot of these things happened. And so then he writes the book of Acts, which is the, the, um, the, the partner to it. And it's written basically after Jesus resurrects and ascends, and then it's the, the next basically 30 years. So anywhere from like 35 AD to 64 AD, depending on who you, uh, what uh, scholar you read. But the next 30 years, it's like the first 30 years of the early church. This is where we get a lot of like really, really cool, awesome um, stuff that we see the church do. We also see some crazy things. We're like, this is wild. And uh, at the end of the day, the, the book of Acts, it's actually called the Acts of the Apostles. So that's why we shorten it to Acts. Um, but it'd probably be more better named the Acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit because what is happening is Jesus is leaving the scene and he's giving the Holy Spirit to his uh, people and they are using the Spirit to just make the kingdom a reality for people in their lives. And Jesus is no longer present on earth, but he is still with us uh, in spirit. And so the book of Acts, it's funny, like, yeah, we can call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's probably better known uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because let's be honest, it's not their credit, but the Spirit's. Uh, we're going to read, starting in chapter 1. I, I touched a little bit on this last week, but uh, we're going we're gonna to reread part of it. So verse 1, here we go. I wrote the former accounts, he's talking about Luke, Theopolis, all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, to the same apostles also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing 
proofs. See, that's very much a, uh, a Luke thing to do. Many uh, convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a 40-day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he declared, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my father promised, which you heard about from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we get this nice little opener. Uh, Luke gives us kind of this idea of like who he's writing to and the, the intent of this. And, uh, and at the end of the day, we know, and we, we read last week, we read the tail end of Luke, which they kind of, they kind of bump hands. It doesn't go like the last verse of Luke, first, uh, first verse of Acts. They kind of oversect just a little bit. And Luke is essentially like, Jesus' last words are, hey, go be my witnesses. Most of you, if you've heard of the Great Commission, you know of it in Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all my commanded. That's in Matthew. Luke has his own kind of similar iteration, and it's basically, hey, go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, right? And so uh, Luke is including that again, is like he's, he's ending the Gospel of Luke, starting the book of Acts, and he's including basically this, this reality of, hey, this is what we're called to do. But if you remember last week, what was so unique is, we think, okay, great, like the, the book of Acts is all about going and doing. But if we, if we think about what is occurring between Luke and Acts, there's this period, there's this season of waiting. And in the waiting is probably the most powerful part of what occurs. Jesus doesn't just ascend into heaven and then immediately give them the spirit. There's this season of waiting. And he tells them that. He lets them know, like, hey, continue to worship, to pray, and to gather, and to sit in this season of waiting. And so... We internalized that as a community last week and said, okay, uh, by using one of Paul's letters in Ephesus, he says that uh, we should be rooted and grounded in love. Like that is the first and foremost thing. It's the first part of our mission statement that we want people to be with Jesus, being in union with him. And out of that, then we get to experience the reality of him through uh, two different ways. I had a whiteboard, if you remember last week. We don't have it this week, sorry. Uh, And we talked about the difference between subjective and objective uh, realities. And uh, if you're wondering, what, what does that mean? Objective is like the very thing you know, the logical man mannerisms or things that you can see and tangibly understand. And subjective, as you know, is subjective, meaning someone's experience could be very different than the others. In fact, uh, a good example was the ocean, right? You can know facts about how deep the ocean is or how strong the current could be in relative to force, but until you're actually in the ocean, you don't necessarily have a full understanding of the ocean. And and each has their own ability, and each has their own power. And some of us lean ourselves more to one or the other. But at the end of the day, if they're, if they're not rooted and grounded in a love of Jesus, both of those things can almost become idols in their own. And so the book of Acts has a lot of both pieces. You'll actually see most people think more about the, ra- the crazy radical things that happen in the book of Acts, like the healings and all these crazy stories and this just super spirit-led community of believers. But you actually don't realize in the first five or six chapters, there's several long sermons, like long, like just reciting Old Testament scripture. And I think we typically breeze through that because we're like, oh, this is boring, I already know this. And, oh, wow, he healed a guy, right? But, like, they're both there, right? There is an objective reality that Jesus opens their mind to the scriptures and that they're opening others' minds to the scriptures, but that there's also this power and this spirit and this subjective experience that occurs. And so for us, when we internalize this last week, we were rooted and grounded in love. We experience and we should yearn for both of these um, realities, subjective and objective. Um, but then, like I said, there's this season of waiting. Before we are commissioned, before we are sent on our way, as Christians, we are not, we are not lazy and apathetic and, and just comfortable. We don't just sit in chairs, but 
uh, if we sat in chairs here all week, we'd be missing the point. There's people to go reach. There's relationships to have, and there's kingdom to usher in. And uh, in that, right before you go do that, there's a season of waiting. And the waiting, I think, is so important because we talked about waiting last week. This week, specifically, we're going to talk about the chunk of waiting uh, up into the transition into power. And so power in the book of Acts is the spirit coming on the scene. It's Pentecost. It's these radical things that are happening. And so today, I want to talk about the crux of this point where we talk about transition. And uh, transition in our lives is actually incredibly formative. Uh, sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes it's really great. Sometimes it's really hard, and later it becomes really great. Uh, but they say, like, you know, I was reading an article about talking about some of the most um, stressful situations in your life, most, and they're all transitions. It's your first day of college moving in. Uh, it's getting married. It's... Um, um, who's the four? Oh, there was another one. Oh, traveling, traveling out like across the state, moving outside of a state, and leaving friends and family. And uh, some of those, some people have done three of those in, in one weekend, you know. And uh, and and transitions, they they mark us, they shape us. But in those moments, we get to truly see what what we cling to, because in transition, we have to let go of things, right? We lose control, and at the end of the day, the response of that is most indicative of our hearts. And so I would, I would argue that this season, this little time period, so this 40 days or however long in between Jesus, which we'll see, ascends, and then this, the coming of the Spirit and power is probably one of the most crucial moments in all the disciples' lives. And I would argue that it actually might be harder than when Jesus actually was led away to crucifixion. Because when he's led away to crucifixion, there's a lot of confusion, disillusionment. They have no idea what's going on. They're like, oh my gosh, like, like what's happening? What's going on? In this season, Jesus told them exactly what to do, and it was still really hard. It's one thing to go through a transition and be confused. It's another thing to know what you should do and, and decide if you should do it or not. And so in this season, the disciples are given very clear instructions. But we know that, uh, to be honest, their hearts still are not great. And they're still just a bunch of ragtag men, or really teenage boys, most of them. And they're making terrible decisions. And what's funny is, like, if you read any of the Gospels, and then you read the book of Acts, it would appear as though, like, man, there goes from these just blathering little boys who just, like, make so many mistakes to then the book of Acts, and you're like, these people are crazy and doing wild things. I mean, they, thousands come to Christ from their just ordinariness because of the power of the Spirit. So we'll see this transition over the next several weeks, but until then, I just want to show you the proof of how off their brains are. In verse 6... When he gathered, uh, so when they gathered together, they began to ask him. Their hearts start wondering, "Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel?" If you remember um, uh, the Palm Sunday a couple weeks ago, uh, right before Jesus is going into Jerusalem for the last time, and he's like, in one one uh, account, he's he's weeping over the city. Right, just before that, you know, he's got his best friends in tow, and they're like arguing about, "Hey, when he comes into Jerusalem and wrecks Rome, like which one of us?" is going to get to see your right hand, you know? Which one? And they're arguing about it, and Jesus, you know, it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, you have no idea. I'm about to, like, I just need some, I need some, like, good friends right now, you know? I'm about to go into this city, and I know it's going to happen, and I've told you it's going to happen. You don't, believe, you don't understand it. You don't believe it, and all you care about is, like, what spoils are you going to get when you think I'm going to come in here and just conquer Rome, right? And this is their mentality, and in the same way, I'm not mad, like, I feel like we shouldn't be, like, be mad at the way they're questioning this, but they still are somehow thinking that the spirit and the kingdom is going to come through force, 
and just this like radical earthly influence. That, that like if we don't take over Rome, Jerusalem's in trouble. Like it's never going to be able to be the thing that God wants it to be. I think about that today. I mean, my gosh, how often do we play this line of like, yeah, I love Jesus, but I also think influence is really, really important. Because the more that I grow in influence and social platform and all this type of stuff, the more I can share Jesus. And while most people's hearts in that moment are truly like genuine, most people lose their souls in the process. You start to get more followers and you start to worry about losing them and you start to say things that you really don't agree with or you don't believe or you start to have just like, you know, you lose part of yourself because you're so worried about influence. And so do I think God can use influence? Absolutely. But in this instance, it's so funny because God, it would appear in all of Acts, is not, is not that concerned about Rome. He's not that worried about them. And if he's not that worried about them, I don't think they should be worried about them. The front of the book of Acts is, is the disciples wondering, what are we going to do about Rome? The end of the book of Acts is Paul going to Rome thinking, I'm going to stand before Caesar and I'm going to convert him to Christ. And we're, you know, the whole world, right? Like, we'll win over the whole world. It's fascinating how our human minds always think in order for Jesus to be revealed, we have to have influence. We have to infiltrate the most, the most powerful uh, organizations in the world. And at the end of the day, all we got to do is be on our knees in prayer. And, and it's silly, like, we read this, but we're human. We do the same thing, right? We think, if only I take this position, I'll have more influence. Or if only I, like, get myself into this little group, then I'll have more influence. Then I can share more of Jesus. If only I make more money, I can give more away. If only, only I had more friends, I could, I could disciple more people. Like, the more mentality is ridiculous. We were just talking about this before service. We were just sitting around and talking about how businesses, like, are always, you know, trying to grow, grow, grow. And, and I was like, I feel like I would be a terrible business owner because at some point I would be like, hey, like, I think we're good. Like, I think we're, we're doing well. Like, we're making a difference in the world and probably hopefully in the kingdom. And, like, we don't need to sell more stuff down people's throats. Like, I think it's okay. Like, they don't need 70 different types of spoons, you know? Like, you really only need one or maybe two, right? Like, you don't. But companies just want more and more and more. And if the, quarter, if the next quarter isn't up by 3%, then we're failing. We're not doing well. And it's, it's, we are all inundated in this culture. I mean, right? Are we, am I wrong? Like, is growth always green, right? Literally, the number's green, and we get excited about it, and, 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 and going down is red. Like, what if growth in some ways is sacrificing true spirit power in other ways? So in the book of Acts, we're going to see the most hodgepodge group of guys with incredible power from the spirit, but it's not going to go in this just, like, linear, the whole world comes to Jesus moment. There's these moments of trust. And in this season right here is a season of waiting. And this is how we know this, because Jesus rebukes them. In verse 7, he answers their question. Uh, I can't read tone here, but I think he's just kind of dismissing the question. He says, he told them, you are not permitted to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and the farthest parts of the earth. This is fun because he said this in Luke, and in, in, in Luke is reiterating again in Acts. It's important. It's his last words, really. And I love this, uh, this response because this, like, I think just kind of cuts the knees of the whole doomsday theology, right? Like, I've got a bunker tray. I can have a party of 10 on beans for 40 days. Like, this is going to be awesome, right? Like, like, getting so excited to just prep for the end of the world, right? I don't know if 
Maybe you have those friends or people. But, like, Jesus is not saying, hey, go bunker down and just wait for things to get worse. Like, that is not what he's saying here. He says, you have a job, okay? Let's let God handle the big things, and let's let you continue to what? Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Last I checked, the whole world is not saved. So we have a big job to do. And also, there's a good chance that we're going to be doing this for centuries to come. I know we're thinking, oh my gosh, AI is here and like the world's going to end in 10 years. But if it doesn't, have you been wasting all of your time worrying about something that you didn't need to have a place to worry about? Have you missed opportunities to be faithful to what God is calling you to do? All this stuff ends at the end of the day. It's not eternal. The only thing that's eternal is people. And Jesus here is saying, look, just, just leave that alone. Leave that alone. You don't need a bunker house with 7,000 cans of beans, okay? I'm going to take care of you. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And, and he's saying, here's your goal. Here's your mission. And, he, and I said, this is, this is different than when he got crucified. With like, what is going on? He's being very clear. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to be my witnesses. And he literally is telling them, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll receive power, and you will do this. Okay, this is his last words. And then what happens in verse 9? In verse 9, he ascends to heaven. After he said this, while they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And as they were still staring into the sky while he was going, suddenly two men in white clothing stood near him. Now, this is funny. I, I love this, uh, like, just this picture of, like, you know, Jesus had come and gone a couple different times. He vanished on the, the road to Emmaus with a couple disciples. He had entered into their house through, the, like, through a locked door, and they're like, he's a ghost. And he's like, no, give me a piece of fish. I'll prove it, right? And he's done this, like, a couple times, and they're just like, oh, no, like, I think he's gone this time, you know? Like, I think he really is gone. His last words are pretty epic, and he's gone. So they're just standing there. And, they're, like, right, they're just they're standing there, and obviously in this moment, like, it is very clear that this little moment of, like, oh, my gosh, what do we do, sets in, right? Even though he'd been very clear, right? even though he'd given them the instructions and they know what to do, they're in this moment, and, and I think this right here is the crux of a lot of our lives, is we're in this moment of transition where we're really trying to figure out what does it mean to honor, to honor God and be faithful to Jesus in this moment. Because in these small little moments are massive uh, ramifications and are highly indicative of where we're going, like the trajectory that we choose for our lives. Whether it's, you know, for some of us, it was like, oh, my gosh, the college that we went to. Or it was like the job we took after college. Or the, the person that we're dating or want to marry. Or, like, kids or foster care or, like, retirement, right? Like, these type of decisions we make are big deals. And a lot of times, we really reveal our heart in the midst of those, right? Like, if you have to make a big purchase, you'll reveal your heart and how much you think it's your money or God's money. If you want to if you want to date someone or marry someone, you'll reveal pretty honest how much your heart is yearning either for a healthy relationship or any sort of relationship or or whether it's trying to 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 bolster a false identity that you have. And and these disciples are in this moment and what I think is so important from now on that we see in the book of Acts is that a lot of people like read the book of Acts and they read like these disciples, they, they look up, they get it, they run, and then for the rest of the book of Acts, like, all of these things that happen, we should just do the exact same thing, right? Like, if we, uh, if we go and do this thing, then this will happen. It's like a formula. I don't know if you ever took physics. Uh, there's a million different formulas. I tried to look up some for fun on here, and I just got so bored of it that I stopped. <laughs> but I like physics. I just, like, why would I do the problems anymore? But anyways... Um, I don't know. I had a good one. Um, 
something MA, MA equals force, right? Sound right? Does that sound right? Yeah, okay. So it's one thing, I don't know how many of you, maybe, maybe we'll find out uh, here, how many of you just like, yeah, yeah, I don't like, care what any of those words mean. I just like, tell me how to put the numbers in the right spot so I get the right answer. Anybody like that? And maybe in math too, in algebra? You're like, yeah, yeah, the quadratic formula. I have the song memorized. But, like, I don't know what A or B, I don't know what any of those mean. Like, if you ask me, like, what does B actually mean? You're like, I don't know. It's a letter. They picked a letter. I put a number there. It comes out with another number. That number's right. And now the problem with that is, right, like most of us do that, and then we get to word problems. You know, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, my teacher never, you know, the homework would stop at 29, and then 31 on was word problems, and I never did them. And then a test shows up. Sure enough, word problems, right? And you're like, I don't know what mass is. Just put the M beside the number, you know? Don't do this to me. And, and, and it, on one hand, like, you know the formula, right? But on the other hand, you don't. You really don't. Like, in real-world situations, I'm trying to build this deck right now in my life, and literally, and I'm, like, trying to build it at a certain angle. And I'm like, okay, how do I figure out the correct angle to have it at this distance from this squared angle? And I'm like, is this cosine? No, that's not right. I don't know what that is anyways. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. They got me. Math, like, I was like, why do I have to learn this stuff? And right here, when I'm, when I'm, you know, trying to build a deck, this is, I don't know the right angle. So I'm just going to wing it. I don't know. We'll see how it turns out. But <laughs> you guys can come over and let me know what you think. Be like, yeah, this, de this deck is definitely not the right angle. It's terrible. But this is the book of Acts, and people treat it like that. Like, you literally go in here and you read, oh, my gosh, like, a man fell out of a window when Paul was speaking, and then he, he, he kind of died or passed out, and then Paul healed him, and it was like this crazy cool scene. You're like, I should go do that. Like, I should go teach, and if anybody gets sleepy, and then I should go wake them up with the power of the Spirit. That's what I should do. And I'm like, that is, it is not this simple formula. Because what's occurring in the book of Acts is a very small percentage, a very small percentage of how the Spirit can move and work in your life. If we only pin the Spirit to this book, I think we do a grave disservice to the Spirit's work. And the reason, then you ask, okay, well, then why do we have all of these, like, recordings in here? What is the point of them? The point of them is to show you what the Spirit will do when you truly yearn for its power in your life. It will, it will do immeasurably more than you can imagine. And that means in your life. That means with your friend. That means with your father or your family member or your significant other. Or, like, that's what that means. And so when we read the book of Acts and these disciples are standing here on this moment of transition, I think there's an emptying that has to occur for them. It's like, okay, wow, he really is gone this time. And like, we, we messed it up the last few times for sure. Like, ran away from him whenever he was dying and then didn't believe that he really resurrected. And a couple of us went off on the road, Jimaeus, and then he like told us everything that had happened. We still didn't believe him. And then he broke bread and we're like, oh my gosh, wow, let's make it up to him. And then we're like, he comes back and he's like, peace be with you. And we're like, eat a fish, we still don't trust you. Like, now we're like, okay, we had 40 days of this guy all about the kingdom again. He's gone. Like, let's go. Let's do this, okay? This is the moment. It's the crux of transition of what is going to be the trajectory of our lives moving forward. And for these disciples, they get one last, one last softball. One last, they're just standing there, and Jesus is like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I just imagine him, like, up in the sky, and he's like, oh, oh, they're still there. They're still there. And then the angels are like, yeah, you were pretty clear. I'm like, my last words were literally to go do something. And they're standing there. And, and then he, you know, they're like, do you want us to go down there? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. Go ahead, go down there. <laughs> so then, so then uh, verse, uh, verse 11, 
well, verse 10, two men in white clothing stood near him and said, hey, you idiots, just kidding. Verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Praise God for the angels, you know, but this was it. Like, this is their moment, okay? They got one more little nudge, moment of transition, the crux. What are they going to do? And here's what I want to focus on in the rest of our time today is, is in the midst of this, okay, they're going to do two things in the midst of, of waiting, right? We talked about root and ground and love, objective search of experience, waiting, right? What do we do in the period, in the season of waiting from waiting transition to then all of a sudden next week, boom, power, okay? What are we doing that? And, and I, I think we, we can't help but forget that there's a lot of, like, emotional carnage that's occurred in these guys' lives, like trauma. Their best friend got murdered, and they're like, oh, my gosh, they have an existential crisis. Like, I left everything for this. Like, my family, everything. Like, what, what is happening? And then he's, oh, he's, oh, he's alive again. Oh, okay, well, oh, I guess I'm going to keep doing this. Like, we don't really, you know, this would be, count, like, they would need counseling today, right? Like, this would not be good. And... And we forget about that. So then read, like, look at verses in your Bibles, maybe your phones. Um, this is verse 12 to 26. I'm not going to read it all, but most people skip this, this little story, a replacement for Judas is chosen. And we, like, kind of, like, yeah, I'll glaze over that because power is coming, right? Forget that they cast for lots. They gamble, basically, to figure out who's going to be the next apostle, right? Why are they doing that, right? Why, why are they all of a sudden doing that? I think... I think reading, reading it here, in verse 12, they, they return to Jerusalem after the, the angels say, hey, you guys got to leave. Come on. Like, he's gone. He'll come back later. The mountain called the Mount of Olives, which is Jerusalem, the Sabbath day journey away. When they entered Jerusalem, here we go. There's two things they do. They went to the upstairs room, and they were there where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, a long list of people were there. Verse 14, all these continued together in prayer with one mind, together with the women, which is also important. Women were there. Together in prayer, in one mind. So that's the first thing they do. First thing they do. They pray in the waiting. And at the end of the day, like, this is a really good sign that the fact that, hey, the angel's like, hey, you know, come on, you got to go. Like, you got to go wait. Like, not here. And they go and they pray with one mind, meaning there's unity in the midst of their prayer. They're all yearning for the same things. And this is beautiful because in the moments when Jesus crucified and they're like, is he? He's dead, whatever. They're all, like, arguing. They're all thinking different things, right? They're all, like, I don't know, and then he shows up, and there, there's, there's, you know, Jesus, peace be with you, because there's just, like, this tension. And here they come back, and they seem very centered. Now, I don't know if they're not like, oh, my gosh, what do we do? But all, all I know is they're putting their hearts into prayer. Together in prayer with one mind, uh, along with Mary, Mother jo- Jesus, and his brothers. Uh, in those days, Peter stuck among believers. So there's 120 people here, okay? All right, this is a lot of people, right? We forget, like, it wasn't just 12. There was more than that. 120 people. And here's what he says. This is Peter's next words after the disciples have been like, hey, are you going to destroy Rome again? And, and is Jerusalem, is Israel going to be good to go? He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit foretold through David concerning Jesus, Judas who became the guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he counted, was counted as one of us and received a share in his ministry. Now, this is talking about Judas the betrayal. Now, this man, Judas, acquired a field with the reward of his unjust deed and falling headfirst he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And this became known to all who live in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that, that field became Hakaldama, which is the field of blood. And for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his house become deserted, and let uh, there be no one to live in it. Let another take his position of responsibility. 
So Paul here, or not Paul, uh, Peter here is, is they, like, they're, they're humans. They've experienced trauma. One of their best friends died and resurrected. Wow. Also, their other one of really good friends literally betrayed their best friend and then killed himself. So, like, I don't know about you, that's a lot of trauma. And what I think is so important to think about is in this season of waiting, all these things are coming to surface. Like, these aren't just robots that, like, aren't human. Like, Peter, these disciples, they had made far often mistakes, like, in the last even several weeks, right? And I just think it's so encouraging for us because, like, you can make mistakes and still live a life that honors God because he's not evaluating you based on your past and your mistakes, right? He sees you far different than you think you even see yourself, right? There's nothing too far that will separate you from his love. And uh, I thought about this quote because it's kind of provocative. Uh, more Star Wars. Here we go. From Kylo Ren. He's speaking to Ray, and he, he says this line. He says, let the past die. Kill it if you have to. That's the only way to become what you are meant to be. This is a very dangerous plague that's hitting the West right now. Just like, just, just lock it up and kill it all and throw it all away because then you can never become who you are. And it's just not, it's not wise, and it's not even what the disciples did. What did they do? They literally restored. They acknowledged the past. This is the second thing they do. And they consecrate the future. If you have a wound, just think about this physically. If you have a wound, if you just act like it's not there, it might heal. But like at the end of the day, you're still, like, it's not going to go away. You have a scar. Now, if you take care of it, the wound might heal quicker, and you might not get infected, and you might not have serious problems down the road. But to just say, yeah, let the past die is like how Ren's saying, yeah, you got a little, yeah, just, just cut off your arm and then you don't have to worry about it. Like, no, no, we're human and we've experienced traumas and hardship. And if we're not willing to acknowledge this, like they're doing, I mean, literally, Peter's like, hey guys, like we knew this was coming and it was really hard, but like we need to be faithful out of prayer to the scriptures. How can we consecrate the future so when power hits, bam, we're ready. When power hits, we're ready to go. We've done the work. We've done the healing. I don't know about you guys, but whenever you fill out, if you fill out the GoDeeper form, one of the options is, um, you know, I, I love help in counseling or, you know, whether premarital, marital, just personal counseling. Like, I have a counselor. My wife has a counselor. We have a marriage counselor. A lot of you have counselors, therapists, psychiatrists. That's great. Like, we're not anti that at all. And I'm really proud of you guys for doing that because a lot of you have, like, a lot of pride, right? You don't want to admit it. But... Uh, the reason why we do that, and we actually even have a fund for it, we've, we've set aside, like, I think it's a percentage of our budget every year and just give away to people who need help with counseling or we have, like, really, really good counselors that we recommend because there's nothing more exhausting than going through a bunch of terrible counselors. But we, the reason why we do that is because, like, we're a young church and you have a lot of wounds that you're not acknowledging and they're only going to make things worse in the long run. And if there's one thing that our church would love to do for you, whether you're here for two years or some of you are leaving in a few months, which I'm really sad about, or, or several years, we want to set you up in the moments of transition to have the best trajectory that you can have in your life, to be the most loving spouse or loving uncle or loving friend that you can be, the best coworker, the best boss that you can be. And some of us are acting, we're just skipping this whole passage. We're like, yeah, 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 power time, power time, come on, spirit will save you, we're good. And it's like, no, you have deep wounds that you need to acknowledge. You do. And I would argue Actually, I've seen this almost 100% of the time. The wounds are deeper than you think they are. They're, they're affecting you more than you think they are. That's been true in my own life. That's been true in my wife's life. In our marriage, we're like, oh, no, we're, you know, we're good. And then, like, something comes up. We're like, that was weird. And then you talk to them, like, oh, that's why that happened. You're like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. So I promise you, if you think, yeah, I don't know, I think I'm okay, you're probably not. And we would love for you to find a great counselor, and we would love to help you do that. And if you can't afford it, we'd love to pay for it because there is no excuse because we want you to be taking the past 
and healing it in the best way that you can. I promise you it will only do leaps and bounds for you loving others because hurt people hurt people. And if you're not, if you're not able to be restored in the name of Jesus through counseling, through prayer, through community, then you're, you're not going to be able to be ready when the Spirit comes and really wants to do something in your life. And so this is what the disciples are doing, and I want to read. This is, this is what happens, and I think it's, it's actually really like astounding that they do it this way. But um, in verse 21, he says, we have to have somebody, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, we have to have somebody who accompanied us the whole time, beginning with the baptism of John and, and, and has seen the resurrection. And so verse 23, they propose two candidates, Joseph, Barsabbas, and Matthias. And it says, verse, verse 24, then they prayed, Lord, you know the hearts of us all. You know the hearts of us all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to assume the task of this service and apostleship from which Judas turned aside. Verse 26, they cast lots for them, and the one chosen was Matthias. Now, it's really fascinating. Like, you mean to tell me that the 12th apostle was just like a gamble, right? Like, just like, you know, sheer luck. And I'm like, well, yeah, on one hand, yeah. Now, I'm not encouraging you to gamble. You're like, just cast lots. Should we buy this house? Should we buy this car? It's not like a magic eight ball, okay? But why were they able to do that? Because it just said they spent time praying through this all. They've been praying one in unity. They've, they've had a great group of, of, of people following them. And they say, look, you know we're all like want the same thing in our hearts. We all are desiring unity to move forward, to heal from the past. Can you, can you just like, can you reveal to us who this is? To be honest, I think both of them would have been fine candidates. And we see that they're, they're still moving forward. And sometimes some of you have a, two doors, right? You're like, I don't know which one to take. I don't know, like, should I take this job that pays this? Or this job that pays a little less, but the work environment's better, or the hours are better, or it's a closer commuter, whatever, right? A lot of you are in that spot, or you were in that spot, or you're going to be in that spot. The amount of times I'm just like, they're both great. Just pick one. And they're like, what? No. No. No, no, no. I'm waiting for God like, to, to like, write it on the wall. And I'm like, you're going to be there. They're both really good things. Like, what are your big rocks? I want to love Jesus. I want to make a difference in the kingdom. I want to be able to make enough money that maybe I don't have to eat ramen all the time, right? Oh, great. Both of those do that. Amazing, right? Like, God, God is potentially giving you two really good doors. Just don't, don't ba- bash your head in between the two of them. Just go through one of them, honestly. You think he's just going to like, oh, you picked the wrong door. Punishment's coming. Like, that's not, he's not like this, like, deceptive, like, bull rider who's like, come here. And then, you know, oh, gotcha. Door out, right? No. So I don't know if that helps any of you right now. If you're in that season, just pick one. They're both good, okay? Maybe they're not both good. I haven't talked to you, but <laughs> maybe, maybe one of them is a very bad option, which so we have a lot of people here with the gift of discernment. So if you, need some, if you need some advice, we'd love to help you out and pray for you in that. They're moving on. They're, they're acknowledging the past. These wounds hurt. Let's do some serious work. Let's actually take, let's take more preventative cause than we probably should, right? I'm like, oh, I get a scratch. They're like, let's put a band-aid on. I'm like, no. Band-aids are dumb. Let's just put some dirt in it, right, and move on. It'll be fine. And I'm right most of the time, but the one time I'm wrong will be real bad, you know, real bad. Be proactive. Is there things in the past? How am I, how am I consecrating time for the future? I, just, I think about this, like, are we, are we ready to go when the moment hits? Are we ready when the Spirit's power comes? Have we actually been preparing? Have we been praying? Have we been, like, diligently yearning for the Spirit to come? Have we been reading the Scriptures so that we might be able to speak life in other people? Recently, our core read, um, last week we read um, part of uh, 1 Corinthians, and I hadn't read the second half in a long time. And I was just reading it, and it was fascinating how I was praying 
I was praying for our directors. I do that every few weeks. And I was like writing down prayers for each director. And like just all of them was so crazy. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pray this verse that I just read. I'm going to pray this verse. Oh, this totally like, and I was just like praying scripture over these people. And like, I mean, I have a lot of action steps and goals I'd like to see a lot of our people take. But this was so freeing to just be like, look, I'm in a season of waiting. And I'm just going to pray what God wants for them in the scripture. And I'm going to, and I'm going to like be resigned, like let God and the spirit move. But I'm going to be the biggest fighter for them and advocate for them in prayer. Like, these are the things I would love for the Spirit to do. That's what it looks like. Like, am I preparing myself for these moments? Or when I have a conversation with the director, I'm like, hey, you need to fix these three things, and you're, you're failing, right? That is not the way to go about it. There's a season of waiting. Am I consecrating moments for the future so that my posture, that my heart, that my yearning for the Spirit's power to be revealed actually are in the line of what, of what Jesus is doing? Peter, I love this. He's taking initiative, and he's getting his disciples ready. This is going to happen there's no turning back. In the moment of transition, what are we going to do? We're going to consecrate time for the future. And so I want to close with this. Uh, I want to invite up. I think Lucas is, is playing the keys to make me sound more spiritual. Um, <laughs> I want to read Matthew 25. Uh, this is a parable, which we'll cover in about eight months in Matthew when we head back. Don't worry. For those of you who are worried, we'll be there. But I'm going to, I want to cover it real quick. Matthew 25. This is the parable of the ten virgins. Virgin just means young girl in this time. Don't get hung up on that. I know it stresses some of you out, but um, young girls. Uh, at the time, verse 1, uh, at the time of the kingdom of heaven, this is when the kingdom's coming, there'll be, it will be like ten virgins who took uh, their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. It's Jesus. Uh, five of the virgins were foolish and five were wise. Well, what makes them foolish? What makes them wise? When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not bring any extra olive oil with them. But the wise ones took flasks of olive oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was delayed a long time, this is classic, right? right? If you're building your bunker house, you're like, he's going to come any moment. And it says when he was delayed, meaning like, we're not going to know, all right? When the bridegroom was delayed a long time, they all became drowsy. They fell asleep. They got lazy. They let Apple Plus take over their lives. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up. They trimmed their, their oil lamps. Because the, and the foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. And they said, no, they replied. There won't be enough for you and for us. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived. And those who were ready went outside, inside with him to the wedding banquet. Then the door was shut and later the other virgins came to saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. And he closes with this sobering reality. Therefore, stay alert because you do not know the day or the hour. Look, I know this parable is probably more in, in line with just salvation. Like when Jesus comes, are you, like, do you know the answer, right? Have you trusted in him as your savior? And that's a really important question for some of you that we'd love to pray through and talk about with you. But on the other hand, are we ready? Are we alert for when the spirit's power is ready to move? Are we consecrating time? Are we showing wisdom, Right? A good example is, is financial. Like if you spend all your money and your friend needs help one day and you have no money to give, you, like you can't be generous. You've, you've binded yourself to these other things. And some of them are good, but like are you, are you creating margin in your life so you can, so in that moment, you're like, yes, Lord, yes, take it. Here you go, right? Or even in your time, like do you budget your time so tightly together that if somebody has a flat tire and they call you like, sorry, I'm just like, I'm really busy. I can't, I'm in the middle of something, right? Are we consecrating our lives in such a way that we, we can actually allow the Spirit to move. Some of us are mad, like the Spirit's not doing anything, and I'm like, you're not slowing down. Like, what do you expect? Right? 
You can't even walk down the street without texting on your phone and walking into a pothole, right? Or in your car, which is worse. Like, are we consecrating time? And in this instance, Jesus is pretty clear. Like, the wise ones create margin in their lives so that if it, if it doesn't occur in the next year or two, we don't need a bunker, right? We didn't, but we didn't waste our time. We leveraged everything in order for the kingdom. And so I want to close with this. Um, as I invite the whole band up for a time of communion, I want to close with this quote, um, and uh, I think we're going to put it on the screen. I want to read this. This is from the Screwtape Letters. If you ever read this, it's a great book. I'm not like, I love C.S. Lewis, so it's a great read. It's, it's actually kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's written as an allegory, so it's kind of hard to understand sometimes. But he's writing about the attack demons have on our lives, and it's a very helpful understanding to be like, wow, there's like real spiritual warfare in my life. And one of the demons is writing to another demon, and he says this, and I think it's one of the most powerful lines in the whole book. On page 40, he says, Our cause, which is the demon's cause, is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished. God is not around. And he asks why he has been forsaken and still the disciples have a moment here of transition and they have to decide like, what are we going to do? What's the trajectory of our lives going to be? Jesus is gone. And he's not saying I'm gone. Like, he's very clear. I'm going to bring the spirit. But in that moment of waiting, there's fear. Maybe he won't come back. Maybe it won't be in time. Maybe, right? How are we, are we trusting? Are we obeying? Because if we can obey in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of transition, we can obey in far greater times. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.